Welcome to Fizz Horizons, a series of podcasts and other resources bringing you interviews on some of the hottest topics affecting financial institutions. Economic uncertainty, ESG, geopolitical conflict, regulatory change, and digital transformation. We'll be covering it all. We'll be sharing the details that you need to know in order to stay ahead. Hello, and thank you for listening to us today. My name is Susan Whitehead, and I'm a senior consultant in Hogan Lovell's acquisition finance team based in London, with over 30 years experience of the European leverage loans market. I'm delighted to be joined by my friend and colleague, Paul Mullen, global head of Hogan Lovell's banking and loans finance team. Paul, do you want to say a few words about your practice and why you are really well placed to discuss how European private credit-backed leverage loans are being impacted by the current tough economic conditions? Yes, thanks, Sue. Hi there. Um, yes, so our focus is very much on mid-market sponsor-backed leverage finance. Uh, we're mainly acting on the lender side, so we act for, for banks, but the majority of our clients at the moment are actually private credit funds. And we've been involved in a number of discussions in in recent months with uh, the credit funds, sponsors and other advisors around the current market uncertainty and uh, the outlook for borrowers going forward. So it's very interesting to have a chance to sit back and and look at some of the issues that we've been grappling with recently. Thanks, Paul. Well, I guess we should start by setting the scene. Direct lenders started to invest in mid-market European leverage loans after the last global financial crisis, seeing the opportunity to fill the liquidity gap by originating unitranche loans, enjoying benign economic conditions with a decade of low interest rates. In fact, for a while, clients were asking us about the potential impact on interest obligations in loan agreements of negative benchmark rates. That, and the low inflationary environment, made fundraising relatively easy for them, as investors were attracted by the expected yields. But then, of course, everything changed. We had the impact of the pandemic, which hit borrower groups in certain sectors particularly hard, closely followed on its heels by Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Inflation shot up, interest rates across Europe also started to shoot up to levels which many in the market had not yet experienced in their working lifetime, and consumers were left struggling with the cost of living crisis with less money to spend. So what's been the impact of all of this on existing financings, Paul? Well, clearly it's had an impact on liquidity for borrowers. Those are the key issues that we're seeing coming through where borrowers have entered into financings over the last three, four, five years, and they haven't anticipated the impact of increased interest rates, uh, as well as, of course, the inflationary pressure on their business costs, and particularly in the consumer-facing sectors where they've seen falling income. Just looking in particular at the documentation that we deal with, most of the private credit loans that we're looking at are documented on uh, LMA terms, but structured as unitronche loans or variation of unitronche loans. And those loan agreements do contain financial covenants, unlike some of the TLB or, or high yield structures, which are often cov light. But the covenants do tend to be limited to a leverage test. So things like debt service and cash flow cover tests were concepts that we saw many years ago but have fallen out of use. And therefore, it means that it takes some time before liquidity issues will feed through into a leverage test. 
And sponsors have managed to negotiate quite significant flexibility in their covenants, which means that really the only time that we're seeing defaults is when the businesses run out of cash and are unable to service their interest obligations under the loan agreements. And are you seeing defaults now, Paul? Well, we're certainly starting to see an uptick in companies that whose finances are, are stressed. I think what, what we've not seen, perhaps compared to the global financial crisis, is uh, significant numbers of enforcements. And I think there are a few reasons for that. Most of the lenders in the current environment seem to be very keen to do what they can to preserve relationships. Private credit funds are very keen to work with sponsors and borrowers to make amendments to deals to try and help the borrowers to weather the impact of higher interest rates and and the other issues around liquidity. So what we've seen much more of is short-term deferrals of interest payments or perhaps cash pay interest being converted into PIC. So that is where it's been agreed that rather than paying the interest in cash, that it's capitalised at the end of the interest period and added to the principal of the loan. Although, of course, uh, there may be a a premium that's payable on that interest roll-up. So what we've not seen is, as I say, defaults leading to enforcements, acceleration of debt. But there may, of course, be situations where those short-term fixes are not sufficient and there needs to be a much more wholesale restructuring of the balance sheet in order to address the fact that some of that debt is just unsustainable in the current environment. Talking about things like liquidity covenants monitoring cash available in the business, that that takes me back to the liquidity covenants we saw introduced by way of amendment in many loan agreements when borrowers were struggling to cope with the impact of the pandemic on their business a couple of years ago. Yes, correct. And we have seen those liquidity covenants being used in the current situation. So It might be the quid pro quo for the lenders agreeing to some forbearance around the interest payments that they will put in place additional controls around liquidity. And those might just be temporary. So as you say, Sue, during the COVID pandemic, liquidity covenants were put in place to give closer monitoring to the lenders during that period. But actually, they fell away again once the the businesses started to bounce back. So we see in some situations that those are being put in in on a temporary basis uh, in order to give the the lender some comfort around some of these additional measures that they're agreeing to. So if you've got a borrower who is struggling a bit with liquidity, on typical mid-market documentation terms, what sort of action could they think about doing? Well, yes, I mean, the the obvious one is to use any ability that they have under the documents to pick their interest, as as I referred to before. That is something that might well already be built into the documentation. So it's an option of the borrower to elect that their interest is, is rolled up rather than being cash paid. Of course, there are likely to be limitations on that option. So things like there might be a restriction on any payments being made out to the sponsors while the toggle is being exercised. Um, There might be a a maximum amount that can be picked or a minimum amount that has to be paid in cash. And as I referred to before, there's likely to be a premium that will be payable on the amount that's rolled up. So there are options often within the document to at least provide some short-term relief. Uh, It's likely that those types of options can only be exercised maybe two or three times during the life of the facility. 
but you know they might give some temporary respite to borrowers who are struggling with their interest burden. That's interesting. Now there was a stage when every conference you went to was suggesting that the jury was out on how private credit lenders would behave in a downturn. I've seen no sign of lenders running for the hills. In part, I guess that must be because these loans are not of a nature to be easily tradable, and sponsors have been very keen to learn the lessons of 2008-2009 and to limit transferability, certainly pre-default. But COVID did show us lots of cases of direct lender and borrower collaboration through the tough times. What's your view, Paul? Yes, I, I think that's absolutely what we're seeing. So, you know, we've worked on a number of situations where borrowers are running into difficulties. But the experience we've had is the private credit funds are very keen to work closely uh, with those borrowers in order to work out a solution. As I said earlier, they really see this as as a long-term relationship with the sponsors and, and borrowers. And of course, the advantage is that often in these situations, the borrowers are dealing with a single credit fund or, or perhaps a very small group alongside possibly a bank providing the super senior working capital facilities. So they're not dealing with the dynamics of a very large syndicate. And I guess, you know, our advice from experience would be for borrowers to engage early because it tends to be the case that the credit funds are supportive, provided that they have the opportunity to work things through. So moving on, what impact have you seen the current economic conditions have on the originations market for new European debt fund financings? Well, it's certainly had an impact in the last 12 months or so. We've noticed that the M&A market has been much quieter than we've seen in previous years. There's certainly still financing available for quality credits and We've seen the direct lenders focusing on particular sectors, perhaps those that are not too seasonal. So things like the more techie medical businesses, life sciences, pharma, software and technology, professional and business services, those types of things. They'll be tending to try and avoid the sectors that are more heavily exposed to the economic cycle, including anything that's too consumer reliant. But I think the real issue is the lack of supply. And we hear from PE sponsors and advisors that at the moment there is an issue around price expectations of sellers and buyers not aligning, particularly of course when you factor in the higher costs of borrowing that are now required in terms of financing those acquisitions. So I think we're in a situation where there is a lot of capital available to be deployed both from the sponsors and the private credit funds, but we really need the economic environment to settle in a way that gives the opportunity for those deals to happen. And that might require greater equity checks from the sponsors in order to address the higher cost of borrowing. But, you know, there's certainly signs, and and from speaking to people in the market, the signs that there is likely to be an uptick in market activity in 2024. I mean, it's clearly the fact that the private credit leverage finance model can still work in a higher interest rate environment, but we're just in that current transition phase where valuations and deal structures need to adapt to that uh, new environment, given that we were all very used to low interest rates for many years. And the other factor that I've heard mentioned is uh, people are likely to want to close deals ahead of the upcoming general election in the UK. So that could lead to uh, greater deal volumes. So plenty of funds around for the right deal. 
But are you starting to see a tightening of documentation terms then, given the current market conditions? Well, you might think that would be the case, but the answer is not really. In terms of the deals that we are acting on, which are new money deals for new acquisitions, we see that the competition for those deals is quite fierce and therefore sponsors are still able to ask for the same types of terms that were available prior to the current interest rate increases. I think it's still the case that the credit funds are very focused on credit fundamentals like how much additional debt can be added after completion and what is the covenant protection to help them to force the borrower to the table in order to discuss any issues. But generally, given the competition for those quality deals that are available, we're not really seeing a significant uh, change in the terms that the financing is available on. Thank you. I suppose, you know, given the new normal of higher interest rates, um, you might think that lenders would be insisting on mandatory interest rate swaps and caps these days. But we're not actually seeing that, are we? You don't often see mandatory hedging even now. And I guess that's because top of the market is the worst time to hedge. Of course, most deals do secure interest rate hedging if the borrower wants to take that out. And I know we have to take a lot of care when we're drafting to make sure that secured hedging debt is allocated as expected, especially actually if the borrower wants to include FX hedging. But I guess that's a whole other podcast, isn't it? So Paul, finally, what's been keeping you busy and what do you expect to see more of in the coming months? Well, as I mentioned, we have seen quite a lot of deals which have required some amendments to deal with liquidity issues. Uh, So that has kept us relatively busy. We're also seeing quite a lot of situations where sponsors are looking to perhaps extend the tenor of their existing facilities rather than go for a full refinancing. So a lot of, as is referred to as amend and extends. And equally, businesses looking to acquire targets by activating their incremental or accordion facilities uh, under their existing financing rather than looking for new financing. So there has been plenty to keep us busy in in that respect. In terms of the types of deals we're looking at, we've certainly seen an uptick in the number of public to privates that have been financed and being financed by private credit funds. So that may continue depending on where valuations get to in the stock market. I guess the other trend that we've seen that's continuing is private credit funds financing larger and larger transactions. So, you know, we've seen some very significant financings in the European private credit market recently. And we think that there's more scope for private credit lenders to continue to compete in the larger cap space as well as the mid-market. So plenty to be optimistic about. Thank you, Paul. And thank you for listening to us. If you'd like to discuss any of the topics we spoke about today, or to find out more about how we may be able to help you, please do get in touch. Visit engage.hoganlovells.com for the full Fizz Horizons 2024 report, more podcasts and other resources.